This is The Art Life. Hello, I'm Zandra Robinson-Burns, founder of Heroin Training, home to my essays and this network of podcasts. And this is my co-host, actress and activist, Grace Gordon. Grace, how is your art life? Hello there. I had the wildest experience today, actually, in my art life. I had actually a... um, a bit of a crisis of confidence in an arena that I'm not used to, and I thought it would be something good to share. So I make a living not just as an actress and activist, but also as a model. And earlier today, I was doing a photo shoot in downtown LA, and it was outdoors, so there were people coming by, and sometimes people stop and they try to talk to you, and all of that happens, which I understand. Um, but today I'm shooting in downtown LA with this photographer and all of a sudden out of nowhere, these two very loud sports cars drive by and stop. And for a moment, I'm actually annoyed because I think that they're just watching us shoot, which they were, and that made me a little uncomfortable. So I kind of thought about stopping for a little bit, but they people in the cars ended up getting out and it was this group of like young very conventionally attractive men and they pull out cameras and a a film like a video camera as well um to start shooting something and I realized very quickly oh these are influencers this is such an LA story of course like two two shoots happening on the same street in downtown LA. I've seen it happen before. It's not the last time I'll see it. But I I had this moment today where I really felt so insecure. One of the one of the guys there seemed like the leader of the pack. He came over to talk to me at one point. Um, they ended up letting us like shoot with their cars because they were like very nice sports cars and it was fun to just add a couple photos in. Um, and one of these guys ends up talking to me for a while and he's asking me how long I've been in LA and whether I prefer acting or modeling more and, you know, how I feel about LA culture. And we have this great discussion, very smart guy. And at one point he asked me, do you have an Instagram? And I do. And he follows me and I had this feeling immediately just by the end of the conversation talking to him that this is like a very successful influencer. And of course, mm. at the end of the at the end of the shoot, we wrap up, we walk away and I <laughs> took the time to go look at this guy's profile because he had just followed me. And of course, He has a million followers. He's a YouTuber. He has six million subscribers. And all of a sudden, I was hit with this insecurity of like, oh my God, you know, he's going to be disappointed. He just was chatting Mm. me up and he's going to see my social media and I'm, he's going to be disappointed and think that I'm, you know, nobody because I'm not Instagram famous. And I really got into my head about it, which is something that does not normally happen for me. And it took me hours of like feeling kind of negative and ashamed and insecure and comparing myself to, you know, other models on the Internet. And then, you know, finally, I come back to myself after hours of like plaguing thoughts 
um, after hours of like toxic, you know, comparison thoughts, I realized this is not what I do. I'm an artist. I'm not a social media influencer. I'm an, like an actress and an mm-hmm. activist, and I create in many different mediums, including podcasts, but I really consider filmmaking and social media influencing very different industries. And because mm-hmm. I live in L.A., those two can get confused a lot. And I see friends of mine who are actors get really worried about followers and, you know, getting noticed on social media. And I remind my friends quite often, like, hey, you're an actor. You know, this is not what you do. There are yeah. other ways to, to create art. There are other ways to get noticed in the film industry. And it's just confusing to live in this town where social media influencer culture and Hollywood are happening at the same time in the same place and can understandably be confused sometimes. There was a period of time where in the film industry, casting people and agents would ask you, you know, how many followers do you have on Instagram? Mm. Um, And there was a couple years where that happened. And then eventually they stopped doing that because they realized they were signing people or casting people for their followings who were not good at acting or who, you know, couldn't come through on the art of the of filmmaking. And so that actually came out of fashion, which I'm really grateful for because I just don't think that's what we should focus on in Hollywood. I didn't realize that it stopped. That's yeah, reassuring. Luckily, it has stopped in the past year or two. Um, I've noticed at least. And, you know, it's for the reason that I've stated. But mm-hmm. I just wanted to share that because it really was such an extreme case of like immediate insecurity shame comparing myself and then finally you know circling back after hours to like I am an artist and I need to remind myself of what I find meaningful and what I care about is you know how you treat people and what what you're saying with what you make not that social media influencers don't think about those things but I'm so glad that I have this title of artist to eventually remind me of what is important to me. And I just wanted to share that with you because it was it was a new feeling for me. I haven't come up against that quite often in such a, a fast mm-hmm. and um, a fast and extreme way. The feeling of the reaction that you had to this situation. Yeah, I guess I think I mostly interact with other actors or other filmmakers. So Mm -hmm. even if I'm like, you know, getting to know someone who is like famous, um, I never feel I never feel insecure or starstruck or whatever it is because I'm just sort of like, oh, this person just does what I do. (laughs) And I don't say that to sound full of myself. It's just like, you know, we're all just making art. So I, I don't. Yeah. I don't get caught in a comparison trap, no matter like what level of celebrity some actor I'm talking to is, because I just sort of feel like, okay, this is a peer, you know, we're just making things. But for some reason, this this um, effect of like millions of followers, subscribers, and this very other field that I can't really relate to, to be honest. I don't feel like there's a lot of similarity between those two fields, for me at least, and for what I do. It was so interesting how quickly I personalized everything and and got insecure. And um, 
and how that's never happened before. And so I'm, I'm just so, I'm so glad that we have this show, to be honest. I'm so glad that this happened today and that we have this show so that I can unpack some of these feelings because I think that especially social media can make us fall into this trap so often. And it's, it's one that I've luckily protected myself from. But I also was, I was telling a friend about this tonight, my friend Katra, and she is an actress as well. Um, and she said, a lot of people feel like this all the time. Mm. And then I thought for a minute about my, my younger brothers. I have, I have eight siblings. Um, and you know, some of my younger brothers who've grown up with Instagram and, and just what that must feel like to constantly be comparing yourself and your worth based on numbers, based on numbers of, you know, likes and follows and this and that. Whereas at least I think that I generally don't pay attention to that stuff and feel a lot more focused on the process as we discuss Mm -hmm. of what I'm making and what it means to me. You know, I had this couple hours today of extreme insecurity and then I went, oh my God, do people feel like this all the time? Like, yeah. I want to hug everyone I know and say, you know, <laughs> you know it's, it, this, is, this is not a way to live. No, it's a, it's a plague, as you said earlier. And you caught this small virus version of it. Absolutely. And I think this story is such beautiful foreshadowing for what we're talking about today, which is the word artist and our associations with it and using that word as part of our identity and the way that you describe art and artists in that story, Grace, is an inclusive one and one that is free from pressure and quantification of we're just we're just making art in the most freeing way. So I would love to explore how you got there. Before we get into it, I must ask you though, how is your art life? Well, I have a similar foreshadowing to the word artist story. Tell me. Um, Well, it's not really a story so much as just my art life lately, which is that there are ups and downs of it, and I've just come off a cold. And the amazing thing about being sick, and the amazing thing about being sick, while I had established this morning writing routine, was that it felt like I had to get sick as the final challenge of, yes, you've been doing this every day, but can you do it also when you have a cold and when you're having trouble breathing through your nose? And it turns out I could, and that was so empowering. And now that I'm over the cold, I'm just left with plain old classic resistance. There have been a few times when I show up to do my editing or to do my writing and I just don't feel like it. But I know that by being an artist, my job is to show up at the studio, so to speak, to put in the time to work through my ideas. And every single time 
I reach some sort of clarity or some sort of breakthrough by the end of my office hours. But it's been, starting has been a grind. Have you learned anything about yourself? Hmm. I think this is all part of solidifying trust in the process that sometimes and more often than not, I think I will show up and be super inspired and so excited to put words on the page. But there's another part of it where I don't feel like writing, but it's so much better to put in the time and keep myself in motion to warm up for that next burst of inspiration. It sounds like you've really put the structure in. And now that you have the structure, you are made to face yourself every single day. I'm made to face myself. And I'm learning that myself has different different moods. (laughs) Oh, wow. What a surprise. How human of you. (laughs) How human of me indeed. You're not a machine who can just pump out the same word count every single day. Yeah, and that's the that's part of what the the freedom is of of committing to putting in minutes rather than words is that mi- minutes are a little more flexible. Yeah, it sounds like having a commitment of minutes every day means that you're free to be in the process. You're free to be frustrated. You're free to have writer's block and you're free to have lightning bolts of inspiration. Like you're not ever forcing something out just to hit a number. And the the lightning bolts of inspiration makes me think as well, I don't want to slow myself down to maintain the same pace in terms of word count. So that gives me flexibility for when I'm ultra inspired and for when I'm under inspired as well. I love learning about daily schedules of artists. And this is something we're going to have to make an episode for. Probably several. (laughs) Probably several. Yeah, but it's, I think, to tie it together, this is a part of being an artist. And I think what I've learned is that I used to think it was too indulgent to give myself this time, but in equating my art with indulgence, I was not giving enough respect to the challenging parts of the process. Which are so very much part of everyone's process. Mm Mm-hmm. And before we started recording, you and I were talking about how these crises of confidence and these sick days and these moments of resistance, they are part of what we're talking about on The Art Life. They're part of every process, every artist's process. And we're making such an effort to to focus on this because when you're only looking at the shiny product at the end all the time, be it on social media or reading blogs or going to see films, you start to think, It's all about just getting this end product out. And you can Mm. forget that every single artist has these ups and downs just within the day of their process on whatever project it is that they're working on at the time. Um, And I think that, you know, 
part of the purpose of this show is to really represent these ups and downs that we have, even with solid life schedules in place and structures that we've set and income coming in and whatever it is that we've we've already established part of the process is still having days where you have writer's block or when you have resistance or when you have insecurity comparing yourself to someone else yeah So it seems that we are talking about two different things when it comes to art. And one is the end product and one is the process. And that leads into my different assumptions and preconceptions about the word art and the word artist. And we were thinking that it would be a good idea to start our second episode with the big question of what does it mean to be an artist? Who can call themselves artists? Am I an artist? Because I think when you hear the art life, some people will relate to it right away and other people will wonder if they count as an artist. I think that this show is definitely open to anyone who's interested. If you hear, if you hear, you know, a part of an episode and relate to something, then it is for you, even if you're not a professional, quote unquote, artist in any field. I think some of the most inspiring art lives that I've encountered, by the way, have been people, have been led by people who aren't even necessarily artists as their job. My dad Mm. is a great example of this. He's a neurologist at Yale and he's, you know, so his, his entire career is, is, um, is in medicine and he does a lot of wonderful activism in that field as well. But he lives one of the most fulfilled, Um, adventurous art lives of anyone I know, prioritizing theater and music and incredible food wherever he goes. He's one of the most cultured people I know with one of the most refined tastes, not just in food, but just in clothing and literature and all sorts of things. And he is not in any way a professional artist. So I've been thinking of him a lot as we've started creating this show and I've been thinking about how the show is very much for him to me. And it mm. reminded me to invite people to listen who aren't making their income necessarily off their art. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, think, I think art at its core is what unifies us as human beings. And I hope with this show we can illuminate more of that side of art. And one of the reasons that I moved to Edinburgh to do my theater degree, I did a theater and performance studies degree. So rather than a practitioner's, um, rather than a practitioner's course, this was an academic side of theater. But I chose to come to Edinburgh because I feel like Scotland really has a grip on what 
on inviting the community to the show. There isn't this divide that I've experienced living in the U.S. of theater people versus non-theater people, I guess. But here, they do things like there's a, a tradition called a play, a pie, and a pint, where you can go and see new writers, early versions of shows for 45 minutes, and the ticket price includes a pie and a pint. So you can go on your lunch break and quickly see some theater. So I, I'm interested in the kind of art that that brings us together rather than divides us between artists and non-artists. I feel the same way about so many fields like wellness and self-care and Mm. health too, where it's like if your, if your wellness or your, your healer philosophy is not, is inaccessible, then you're not really doing any healing for the world. If my art Mm. is only accessible, whether that's, you know, spiritually, financially, depending on education, whatever, if it's only accessible to a like a tiny group of people or one or one socioeconomic class or people from one background, then I'm not serving the world and I'm not living my purpose. I want to make a podcast. I want to make all kinds of art for everyone. And it's a it's a situational thing as well, where something that's wonderful about a podcast is that people can be listening from wherever in whatever margins of their lives in a way that sometimes art, it feels like needs to be structured of I need to be in an art gallery or I need to purchase a ticket to sit in a theater and enjoy a play or a film. It, The parts of the art life that I have been excited to explore more of are the those in-between transitional moments that just are parts of our days. And we forget that, like, anytime you listen to music, you're consuming mm. art. Every time you tweet about the latest episode of Big Little Lies you're engaging with art like this is so much a part of everyone's life this is so much a part of what makes life worth living for everyone on the planet if you're dancing just for the hell of it with your friends or at home alone i don't care that's art you did it (laughs) you know i was thinking about this question of what is my evolution of my relationship with the word artist? And one of the moments that came to me was when I was in kindergarten or first grade or one of those early years, we did acrostic poems of our names and you had to write words that describe you for every letter of your name. And for me, the A was always artistic. (laughs) That was the easy answer. I love knowing that about you. <laughs> it was just such such a part of my identity from when I was little of I am I am an artistic person and something about being a child made that an easy thing 
to do. And I would choreograph musical theater routines on the playground and produce concerts. And I never had career aspirations in performing arts in the way that a lot of the kids I was in theater with did. But I was just enjoying creating art and something about getting older and college applications and people starting to do things like that for a resume confused the term artist for me. I love the jewels that are coming up from this conversation, Zandra, because you and I have opposite experiences in this arena. Really? Absolutely opposite. Do tell. I've started doing community theater when I was literally six months old. And so even as a child, you know, even though that's fun and it's it's experimental and creative, even as a child, the theater that I did was very product oriented. We had, mm. you know, even as a, a six-year-old, I had a part that I had to get all the lines down and this was the day the show goes up and we are going to add in rehearsals if we weren't ready. And it was like that from such a young age. I started working professionally as a model and actor when I was 16. And people probably don't know this listening, so I'll just reveal now. I dropped out of high school as soon as I started working. I got my GED. I took some college classes later on. But my career has been tied up in art making since I was a minor, basically. And mm. even before then, I there was a period of time where I was writing music and playing music around Philly, where I lived. And even at age 15, maybe even earlier, I was recording in a studio with a manager who was getting my music, you know, packaged into EPs and putting me up at shows around the city. And I have had like no time period in my life where art has been about play and experimenting. Mm. It has always been about getting something completed and refined and putting it out into the world because this has been my job for such a long time. Or for, you know, for such a long time, whatever that means, for my whole life, this has felt like my job. And I think that it has confused me. And I, I don't want to say that it's taken the joy out of it because nothing gets me more excited and happy than being on set or rehearsing or analyzing a script with a friend. Like that still every time brings out like the, the light in me. It's like I suddenly am present when I get into those kinds of conversations. But the, the career aspect has been just intrinsically tied up in my art making my whole life. Um, and I found that I had great resistance to the word art and the word artist. And even the word creative, like I would get the feedback that I was so creative and I had like weird resistance to that. What do you think the resistance was? I think that in part, I used to associate the word artist with pretension and gatekeeping. I associated mm. it with like art galleries and 
academia even. My sister, my older sister, is also an artist, um, multimedia artist, performance artist. She went to Oberlin and, you know, got her bachelor's and studied hard, worked harder than anyone I know. But what she did felt very different to me than what I do. In so many ways, I feel like... I feel like a a craftsman or something or like a I feel like I work a trade where like I'm a bard sometimes where mm. where you know it's like I have a specific skill set and I I'm a I'm a day laborer you know I I do the labor and I complete the project and it's done or I you know I show up on to the photo shoot and I I do the thing that I'm good at and it's and then it's done and there's so much about this word creative and artist that um that I embody and that I I love but I've had so much resistance to because it felt like it like it was this kind of uh highbrow idea and it was all about galleries and it was all about putting things in history books and analyzing them and it was only for rich white people and I've like had my feet on the ground hustling it just getting through the day since I was a child (laughs) and for some reason that sort of that lifestyle made me made me feel really separate than those who use the word artist and it wasn't until I did The Artist's Way in 2013 a famous book by Julia Cameron um that's like a 12-week process of unpacking your creative blocks and your even your resistance to the word artist itself it's not until I did the artist way that I was able to unravel some of these um, blocks that I had and realize where they came from and realize where you know I even had negative associations with the word artist and I associated it with a with a Andy Warhol, Edie Sedgwick kind of chaos that I didn't want. I wanted to do my job and meet good people and not be involved in this sort of alcoholic drama that I'd observed or associated with that term. I don't want to be Vincent van Gogh. I just want to have a, you know, I just, I just want to do the work that makes me happy. Um, and so it wasn't until I did the artist's way that I was really able to realize where I got those negative associations and embrace more play, embrace the word art and artist. In the first acting class I ever did, the first adult acting class I ever did, there was a period of time where we would do relaxation exercises at the beginning of class where you go through sense memory and you go through different emotions and physical sensations and do different body exercises to relax yourself and, you know, get yourself open. And at the end of our relaxation exercise practice, the teacher would always have us throw our arms up and yell, I'm an actor. I'm an actress. <laughs> it was like this, he, you know, raise your hands to the sky and say what it is you do. It, it was it was very, uh, you know, it would be very funny to be sitting in that room if you were not doing the exercise, to say the least. And, you know, for about a year, I threw my hands up and I said, I'm an actress. And then I remember after doing the artist's way, after embracing this how much I loved art and respected it and was no longer afraid of that word and no longer had these negative associations. I remember the night 
that I threw my hands up in the theater <laughs> and I yelled, I am an artist. And I kept it since then. Ah. And so I did that for years. And I, I, I do, it's funny, you introduced me at the beginning of this episode as actress and activist. And I, you know, I still throw different titles in depending on how it's relevant that day. But I love the idea of just saying artist. And I, I think that it is all encompassing. And I think that it's something I'm now really proud of. But there is like a stigma attached to that word. And I think that it's a scary word. And I think that some people don't feel welcome when they hear it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just interested in unpacking that word and making people feel welcome and putting the walls down. And I want to hear every person in the world claim themselves to be an artist. Yes, please, to that. What's so fascinating about the stigma of the word artist is that it goes in every direction. Where you're describing the stuffy, pretentious side, but then there's also the chaotic, alcoholic side. Any side that I had heard it, I felt like it was some some archetype that I didn't want to be. Mm. I like being a day laborer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I like being someone who's pretty grounded and, and just gets on with my work and <laughs> enjoys her day. Yeah, there's there's something to that because for a time in my life, I wanted to pursue Shakespearean acting. And what eventually deterred me was I didn't want the lifestyle. I like waking up early and I didn't want to be in the theater all evening and I considered being a theater critic and same rule applies there is I didn't want to be out at the theater every evening and writing into the early hours of the night. I wanted to wake up and write in the early hours of the morning. And so for me, artists have, or the art sector has always had this nostalgia for me of this is something I used to enjoy or that I still enjoy, but I don't feel like I'm a part of anymore. Every year in Edinburgh, we have the Fringe Festival, which is the largest performing arts festival in the world. And I attend at full capacity and go to as many shows as I can. And people ask me all the time, are you in the Fringe? And I stumble over my words because I feel like I'm here. I am an avid audience goer and I love engaging in the conversation about the art that people bring here. But oh, no, 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 I'm not a performer. I'm not a producer. I'm not even a theater critic anymore. But for me, being an artist has been something that feels like it's just out of my reach until we started having these conversations. I think it's a good time to bring up, too, speaking of titles, how you yourself have gone through a bit of a rebranding this year. That's another great story and one that started in Philadelphia as well, as we alluded to in our first episode, when we were at the Granger Leadership Academy, the Harry Potter Alliance's conference, 
there was a lot of talk about imposter syndrome and you and I realized that this isn't something that we suffer from. I couldn't relate to the symptoms of imposter syndrome that people were describing, but I also didn't feel great about the word author on my Instagram bio. And I hadn't given it my full attention, but in the back of my mind thought, maybe I don't feel like I'm a good enough writer to be considered an author. Maybe because I self-publish, I don't count as an author. But I realized in having conversations with people who experience imposter syndrome that that's not what I was feeling. I just felt like author didn't describe how I write. And writer is too broad as well. And blogger is not is misleading because I publish on a blog, but I don't really run my website like a blog in any other way. And that's not how I I don't make my income in a traditional way that bloggers typically do. It's sort of like you were describing the influencer world and it just feels so close and so far from who I am. And so we were on this wander through Philadelphia and we stopped in a bookshop and I saw a copy of Emerson's essays displayed on the featured shelf. And I adore Ralph Waldo Emerson. My favorite English teacher in high school introduced me to his writing and to Henry David Thoreau. And I'd been searching for the perfect copy for years because I kept finding I kept finding copies, but they just they weren't the right one and I wanted to have the exact right one on my shelf and I saw it and knew immediately that was it. But also carrying this book around that said essays on the title put the word back in my mind that that's what I write. I am an essayist. And Figuring out what kind of writing was my favorite and best described how I like to tell stories was so empowering for me to be able to put that label on it. And then what happened next was even funnier because I was so excited to update all of my social media and change my official title to essayist. And I sat down and read Self-Reliance by in the Emerson's Essays book. And in it, there's a whole section about how Emerson says to not attach yourself to titles. And he calls them screens of whether it's your political affiliation or your religious beliefs. Any of these broader concepts are not what define who we are. And so to not put so much power on any one word because human beings, individuals cannot be summed up by one word or a couple of words. And so it's not even worth really trying. And I just found this so ironic that I was like, Ralph Waldo Emerson is an essayist and I'll be an essayist too. But also that's not the end of this journey. That's just a placeholder for a greater conversation. So while I have adopted essayist as my job title, my secret 
job title or my life title is artist. And that is the mantra that plays in my head as I go about my day. How can this be more artful? And Grace, I have you to thank for that by inviting me to this art life that you first shared with me and making me realize I relate to all of the things that you're doing and the way that you're doing things, but I wouldn't have ever called it art on my own because that I felt like I didn't count as an artist. I think that part of art, art life, being an artist is just making our daily experiences and daily lives beautiful, making something beautiful out of the mundane or the tragic or Hmm. the heartbreaking or the whatever it is. I, I it's the way that you make your coffee can be part of your art life, the way that you dress yourself, adorn yourself, right? That's art. And this is something that you really embody. So I'm I'm glad that I've helped you own and claim that title, but it is already what you're doing. And I hope, my deepest, most sincere hope is that someone listening to this who's interested but not claiming that title yet will hear this and go, oh, wait, I'm an artist. I'm an artist. (laughs) So if you're in your car right now hearing me say this, you best throw your hands up and yell, (laughs) I am. Maybe not if you're driving. Not if you're driving. Maybe find a safe place to stop. That would be be great. (laughs) Please please find a safe place to stop and throw your hands up and yell to the sky, (laughs) I am an artist. I've noticed a distinction between introducing myself as an artist versus knowing that I'm an artist. And so my hope is that our art life community is a place where we can not only intro- where we can not only know that we're artists but understand what that means to each of us together. We're redefining the word and we're celebrating the many different definitions that there are. And that's the perfect transition into our closing question, which we've decided will be how we end these episodes because this show is also a discovery of what the art life means. So, Grace, today, what is the art life? The art life is for everyone. Mm. Sandra, what is the art life? The art life is my life. So since it's only our second episode and we've spent so much time today talking about the many ways in which we make our art and the many places that we put it, Sandra, would you like to share where people can read your essays? You can read my essays on heroin training, my website. I also publish them on Instagram at heroin training. All of my highlights are the text from my essays and that is all available for free. And then for my patrons on patreon.com slash heroin training, 
there is a read by Zandra tier where I will read you my essays in an audiobook form for a secret podcast. So um, lots of options for however you prefer to read things. Where can people find your art, Grace? The best place to keep up with what I'm up to is Patreon, where I post modeling work, acting work, podcasts, illustrations I do, live streams, really anything I'm up to day by day. Patreon has been such an amazing way for me to expand my creativity and feel encouraged to explore, create, unashamed, and own my title as artist. Since I'm happiest when I'm creating in many mediums, Patreon and the community that I have on there helped encourage that everything I do is art and everything is Mm. worth sharing. So I write, act, model, sing, live stream, etc. on patreon.com slash official. And as one of your patrons, I can say that your Patreon is like a little flashing mystery box in a video game of, ooh, what is going to... What am I going to get next? Can I put that on my gravestone? Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is such an amazing... <laughs> I take that as such an amazing compliment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was certainly a process to get to a point where I allowed myself to be all of the things that I am because people discover mm. me through many different platforms and people discover me through many different communities, be it activism you know, sexy, like, lingerie modeling or, like, acting in some powerhouse, like, queer love story. It can be very confusing as an artist to know what people, quote unquote, want from me. And Patreon, like, allowed me to say, I want to make everything I want to make. And the right people will support all of the things that I am. Freedom. Freedom, baby. This is The Art Life, a heroin training podcast with Grace Gordon and me, Zandra Robinson-Burns. You can find us online at theartlife.show and send letters to The Art Life, care of Grace Gordon, P.O. Box number 4292, Valley Village, California, 91607, or email us, theartlife at herointraining.com. Our theme music is The Stream by Rory. Thank you for joining us.